Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. On today's episode of The Deep Dive, I'm joined by Katie Holton. Katie is an artist and activist. In 2003, she represented Ireland at the Venice Biennale. She has also had solo exhibitions at the Bronx Museum of the Arts, the Nevada Museum of Art, the New Orleans Museum of Art, and Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis, and Dublin City Gallery, the Hugh Lane. Her drawings investigate the entangled relationships between humans and the natural world. She has created tree alphabets, a stone alphabet, and a wildflower alphabet to share the joy she finds in her love of the more-than-human world. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Art Forum, and Freeze. She's a visiting lecturer at the New School of the Anthropocene, and if she could be a tree, she would be an oak, which I'm going to ask a little bit more about as we go through the conversation. And we're going to be talking about her book, The Language of Trees, A Rewilding of Literature and Landscape. So glad to have you on the show with me. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thank you for having me. You know, there's so many places that I, I want to start because I, I received the book quite a bit ago and I've had a chance to go through it fairly exhaustively. Like I'm one of those people that, and I warn guests when, when before, warn might be too strong a word, but I always let guests know because folks who don't do like this, right? They don't interview, they don't maybe talk to folks. Um, they might not realize that when you get a book from an author, assuming you're interviewing an author, you'll get like what I call like cheat notes, right? You'll get like this little blurb from the um, PR company or from the publisher company that kind of summarizes the book for you. And sometimes they'll even provide like questions, right? Like if you're going to talk to this author, here's some questions that you might want to like engage with them about. I routinely throw that away immediately. Um, I never read them. I never look at them because I don't even want to be influenced by another person's suggestions on what I might want to ask. Like I'm pretty like locked in on kind of coming up with my own thing. Um, so I share all that to say that your your book in particular was such a a wonderful invitation to go down so many potential avenues of of discussion because it is so fascinating the concept behind the book, myriad of, of, of really wonderful contributors that you had share their work and their and their thoughts. But I want to try to do this in a somewhat of an orderly fashion, despite that we are inviting a rewilding. And I, I want to talk a little bit about not so much the origins of the book, we're going to get to that, but your relationship with the more than human world, as you as you describe it in the in the biography, like, where did that develop and come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that lovely musing on the, the book. This is my first conversation about it and the first time I'm meeting another human who's encountered the book. So it's very thrilling. I it, This is something that I've been asked a lot over the years. And honestly, I don't have a any great answer. It's just like, this is who I am. I have I grew up in rural Ireland. I guess this maybe has something to do with it. But I have a sister and two brothers. And they don't necessarily 
have a relationship with the more than human world in a way that I do. So I don't know, it's not everybody who grows up in rural Ireland <laughs> turns into a plant person. I think it's a combination maybe of, you know, my parents, my mum is a, a gardener, an incredible florist, works with plants. So I grew up being outside gardening, weeding, so hands in dirt. I was the eldest, so I spent those years on my own outside, living this you know blissful life. I, I need to be outside. I am like a plant. I have to be outside in the, the air. And it's just who I've always been. I've always been connected to this growing cycle. The you like my mum was the, the gardener would plant, I would weed, we would harvest, you would consume, you would compost. So that cycle. And I was born in 75, so I think it was a very different time when we, in Ireland, we didn't have so much, like now everywhere on planet Earth, more or less, you can get any product, right? It's like we're all in one city, you can get everything made in China, et cetera, et cetera. Back then, it was it was much more limited. Um, avocados only started arriving in the 70s. Um, my dad, for example, used to get an orange, one single orange for a Christmas present. That's how exotic and special imported items, things like that were. We were very much potato, vegetable, meat uh, society, very rooted to the, the rural. And obviously in my lifetime, that's completely changed 100%. But I, I think at heart, those early moments being outside with the trees, the fields, planting, weeding is just an essential part of, of, of me. And also I love humans, <laughs> but I have always had this connection. My mum remembers me talking to the cows in the fields. She was scared because I was tiny and the cows are enormous. I had no fear. There's just, you know, we're all animals. I think it's just something that I've always felt um, innately in a way without maybe I should take the time to, to think about it more. But I'm so busy living <laughs> my life. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it is a, a very unique relationship, right? Because, um, you know, you talk about you love humans. Me and humans, eh, you know, I could take them or leave them. Kind of. <laughs> I don't want to come off the, immediately as a misanthrope. <laughs> depends, on the, depends on the day, right? Like, I like some humans, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a, I'm a fan generally of humans, I guess. But I, I love the humans that are on my side. <laughs> thought you were right. going to say on, on your show <laughs> no 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 that would be that would be far too narrow a group of humans right like yeah. geez i can't i can't limit myself to the hundred odd humans that i've had the the pleasure of talking to but i will say that i um i'm a fan of the humans that are that are when i say on my side that i i feel they share the same um values toward making a, a future mm -hmm. that is um inclusive Mm -hmm. And and for all of us. And ironically, though, that started off just as a joke. I honestly do, do believe that that is the vast majority of humans. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I, I think it is the few that are against the mm -hmm. rest of us. That's the problem. That's it right there. It's just a few people who are very loud and make more noise. And so much of what we're living, all living through right now comes down to these few, you know, the few bad apples. I have to always bring it back to trees. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, those, those few are, you know, they're few relative to the, the, to the rest of us, but there's a lot of them motherfuckers, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, the, that 1% um, to use sort of Occupy language, um, when you use, when you're in the billions, that's a lot and they, and they control a lot. Right. And, you know, a, a theme of, of the book is rewilding, getting us 
back into spaces that are, you know, less under control. And I was curious about this, and I'm, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but this is a very circuitous type of show. So people are used to taking these journeys with me, or at least I say that from time to time, hoping that is true. So maybe I'm putting it out well, in the universe. This one can be the nice branching show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, that they'll allow me to kind of take these um, these diversions. But one of the things I, I realized in, in the book is that it's not necessarily a conflict, but I find them ideas that are somewhat maybe a paradox or maybe they have a, a relationship to one another that we'll uncover as we discuss, which is, you know, rewilding instantly. I think even if someone doesn't know that term from a scholarly perspective, it's kind of easy language. So you can kind of get a sense of what that means. But then there there are segments of the book where we talk about rules, right? That trees follow certain patterns and and certain ways of being. And even in your in your um when you were talking about growing up, there's um a conversation around following cycles, right? Like the harvesting, the composting, like all these things follow natural cycles. So I'm curious how much there is a paradox or sort of a, I don't know, conflict sounds too strong, but you know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> between the cycles and the rules that exist in the natural world to which we are part of, and this concept of rewilding. Yeah, I love this question because it it gets to the, the heart of you know this book at the heart of the book is a tree alphabet. And it's something that I made out of love, a love for language, a love for trees, a love for humans, a love for our storytelling capabilities. And also this fear, you know, it was 2015 when I when I made the tree alphabet, which was the lead up to the 2016 election. So all of this conversation about truth, um, you know, and truth and lies and language was being twisted into pretzels. So that really, I, you know, that helped I didn't think of it at the time, right? I hadn't put the two together until later, but it's very obvious that that's what was going on in my mind. I thought I need to, I was wrestling with language and trying to, you know, I love language and I feel like these trees, it's like playing with the molecules of the alphabet, the A's become apple trees. And so when I made it, then I got this book about trees. That's what I, I made the alphabet specifically to make to make a book. When, once I had the book in my hand, print a book, I realized, oh, we can use it, this A to Z as a planting guide and plant our words and messages with actual trees if the planting guide is specific to a certain place, like New York City, for example. So I went on and I did that. Then I realized, wait a minute, who am I to say this is the tree alphabet and we can plant messages? It's I'm and I just playing the game and turning myself into another big overlord human saying, let's write our messages on the planet with trees. So I realized, you know, in this split second moment that out of a place of love and trying to create something beautiful and, you know, as an artist, you're always, I'm always questioning and you don't really know what the answer is. You just do the work and then the work unfolds. And I realized, oh, <laughs> I've kind of created this, this tension between what I was exactly against in a way you could argue that I had just created another system of, of control and order and rules. But it's funny, nobody ever, I seem to be the only one having that conversation with myself. Nobody, that was back in 2016 when I, or 20, 2015 when I published the book. No one ever brought it up at all. I think you're the first, this is the first time that tension, and maybe because rewilding is in the subtitle of the new book, 
it kind of brings in this whole other layer. So it was very important to me when I revisit so The Language of Trees, which is the new book that's just got the first copy in my hands right now, um, that's inspired by the book from 2015, the About Trees book that I made. This new one, I really, it was very important that I include the rewilding, the rights of nature. That's the heart of it. I need to be overt about it. In the other book, I didn't include any any text by myself. There was no context. It was just a collection. And then I, through conversations with people, it seemed kind of important that I do, you know, being an artist, you can put your stuff out into the world and, and take poetic license. and The viewer can take from it what they will. But I realized that I needed to give it a, a bit more. And because the work means so much to me and there's so many important issues, I really felt like I need to write something. So I included an afterward that I hope tries to bring a lot of these different branches of thought together and and these, um, you know, the conflicts. I think it is a strong word, but I think it's um, it's definitely at the heart of it because a lot of these issues are come down to the fact that you have somebody who's fighting to save something, a tree or a bog. I also work with um, a group in Ireland. We're trying to save the bog. And at the same time, you have within that core group of, of love or whatever, you have the fact that people want to take care of the people in that community. So the trees are important and the bog is important, but you also have the, the humans to bring it back to humans again. And can you give a rights rights to nature? Will that take away the rights of the humans? This became a big issue in the bog group, for example, Friends of Ardy Bog. Um, and I had to step away from them because one member wanted to have absolutely nothing to do with the rights of nature. Whereas for me, this is the heart of what it's all about. We have to realize that rights of nature are human rights. We are nothing. Our species is nothing if we if we don't have nature, plants, trees, ecosystems that we need to protect. So then we that means we need to be involved with the policy issues and the politics of it. Unfortunately, you know, I am a tree hugger. I love being outside. I don't want to have anything to do with politics, but it's inevitable if you want to live on the planet right now in the 21st century. Sadly, we have to get involved in that the dark underbelly of the, the system. So it comes back to systems. And I think at the heart of my work, you know, you, you talked about the natural cycles and these paradoxes or conflicts spiraling around. I think that's how we are as, as humans who are animals. We are part of a, an ecosystem community on this planet one planet, right? One species, but then we're so entangled with every, absolutely everything else. And we've created so much harm. Um, every biological system on the planet has been affected by us in such a short amount of time. And so trying to share and we'll look at these cycles and see the, the connections, I think, is to try and remember. So, I, you know, rewilding, I, I had a lot of other words with re, there was remembering, reimagining, reforesting, and it's to, to remember who we are, because I think, you know, at heart, we've forgotten. That's where we keep coming back to, learn. you know, listening to the Indigenous folks and communities who have this knowledge that was suppressed and hidden and forgotten about. As an Irish person, you know, I automatically feel a, a connection to that. You know, I want to keep a little bit more on this on this thread because it's something that I often, you know, I don't work in these areas of policy, but I do think about them quite often, right? Because we'll we'll talk about, you know, returning to nature and, you know, we use these these terms and a lot of it is is that paradox that you that you described, right? That, you know, human beings are part of nature 
right? So when like a, a deer and chipmunks and all these other animals, right? They don't talk about like going back into nature, right? They're just in nature, right? <laughs> like they've, they're kind of like just, they're just in it, right? And we are in it too, right? Because the, the nature is all around us, right? It's the, I don't know, it's weird what I'm trying to describe because it's it's like people think nature is just going outside their house, right? Like into a park or a forest, right? Where it's like, nature's oxygen right like it's the air we breathe is the water we drink is is the environments that we've everything we make because we're nature so a city you know i'm here in new york city this is this is nature yeah it's a there's a different type of nature but it's nature nonetheless right so i'm often I, and you know you, we try to use these terms and and that's we use these terms because that's the language we've been given you know, nature's coming back, you know, and in the height of the pandemic, that was like the big thing, right? Like, look, there's swans again, like in the canals, you know, whales are coming here, are coming on land, right? It was like this whole thing. And I think those give us glimpses, but it, it still feels like we're struggling to properly contextualize our existence with that of the planet because we have systems that tell us that we are above mm -hmm. everything else, right? And, and those are, are rooted in our religious practices, you know, particularly if you're kind of in a Western Christian, Judeo kind of thing, man, you know, because those early Bible people, they were all about that misogyny. You know, they had that nice, crispy religious misogyny. Um, so it was man has dominance, right? And I think we still struggle with that. Right. And our and the policies and the legal precedents that you talk about, they assume that. Right. So when you're bring, when you're making the argument, someone like not you specifically, but if there's a case being made that, oh, you know, this group has a right to exist. Right. Whether it's a bog or, or forest or animals or whatever, you're really arguing inequality that flies in the face of all of this Christianity and capitalist nonsense, right? So mm -hmm. how do we start to break that down in a, in a way, right? Because humans would say like, look, if it comes down to me, a human, or like a tree, tree's got to go because I need a house. And I'd kind of be like, fuck you, human, like mm -hmm. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, a sign in the window that says on one side, save the trees. And on the other side, it says uproot the system. And yeah. uh, if only it was as simple as... It's a good sign. That, yeah, if you stood a lot. Um, but, you know, and, you know, Greta Thunberg has talked about this too. That hashtag, uproot the system, was used for a while, but then it seems to upset... Everything upsets people. But we essentially, that's what we need to do. The whole system has to be uprooted. Um, I like that, that phrase, uproot the system, because it, it shows us that the system is a living, organic, natural thing. And it's not easy uprooted uh, by any means and I don't have the answers I just feel if we remember how much we love each other the planet everything that gives us life because I think we all do like you said most of people do the majority of people love life and are lovers of the world this was the title of my my class for the new school of the Anthrop Anthropocene was learning to be better lovers of the earth and I feel like that's what I really wanted to convey with you know, with the tree alphabet and this book and the wildflower alphabet that I made where you could literally sprinkle 
L-O-V-E, those seeds for those flowers, those wildflowers around the city. And if you remember, if you love something, you're not going to, you can't kill it because you, you appreciate, you see it like family. And I think that's, you know, I'm one person, I'm not going to save the world. <laughs> Very frustrated about, you know, incredibly upset about what's happening because it's so, um, it's so clear. It's happening right in front of us in real time. And, you know, I have my sign, I go out in the streets and join others, come together in like love parades when we're protesting and scream in the streets. And that feels good. But, you know, I hate to keep bringing it back to policy, but the system has to change. And I think it needs to come from this place of love. So I do what I can as an artist, which is hopefully sharing a love and a way to to maybe think differently. That was something with the tree alphabet as well, as a way to show the trees, like simply with the bare branches, wintertime. Um, <laughs> with the, the alphabet, is it like an introduction to to something beyond ourselves, our A, B, C, D, E, those 26 little letters, we can write any word in the world, which is just mind-blowing. It's so beautiful. And if you have to think beyond our own communication, because this, this is it, what it's all about, right? That everything is communicating all of these, the trees communicate in ways that we can't know. So it's to try and crack open our minds to, to listen and, and hear what maybe can't be heard on our frequency, but that is there. And if you listen, you know, that's that's how you, you need to communicate and talk through differences. That's the big problem right now, right? These sides are so split. There just seems to be no middle ground. You can't communicate with the other. Everything has become so, so um, divided and divisive. And I think falling back in love with with the world, seeing or re-seeing, I, I don't have an answer. Sorry for <laughs> the yeah. system. I mean, I don't think there is one answer, right? Like, you know, I often pose questions that I have absolutely no answer to, nor do I expect the guest to have an answer, right? They're, they're really the thought-provoking things, right? Because when you when you were talking about your time growing up in Ireland, right? And you mentioned, you know, hey, there's a time when this shit was like literally some meat and potatoes, right? Like, and, and orange was a delicacy, right? And I think a lot of people in the world would argue, hey, like, hey, you know, isn't it great that we have oranges now all the time, right? Like, isn't it a sign of the inevitable ingenuity of human beings that oranges are plentiful, right? That you can walk into any Tesco or Waitrose or, you know, I don't know what the Irish equivalents of those things might be. But like I said, I got in the UK, those are very, <laughs> those are popular, right? Um, and here, in, here in, in New York, right? Like every um, fruit and vegetable stand has like mangoes all the time, right? As a West Indian person, you know, mangoes are something that are very specific. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, right? this is all part of the now problem. Now we can get them everywhere. Yeah, we're, we take it for granted <laughs> that you can get a mango on the corner if you're in New York City or that you go into the supermarket. I was lucky enough to get home and see my mom over, and my sister over the Christmas and New Year holiday. So going mm -hmm. from New York to rural Ireland and to Dorchester in England, and you see exactly the same products in the supermarkets. And yes, strawberries for Christmas. Why not? <laughs> and it it just that's part yeah. of breaking our brains where we have so disconnected that we don't, you know, and so I, I sound like some kind of preachy person when I'm like, oh no, we shouldn't be having strawberries <laughs> in January. It's not natural. 
<laughs> but I, I, yeah. I think we've just um, we've become so lucky is a funny word, but it's like we have this luck that we are so smart that we could do this. We can farm, we can feed ourselves and others, and we've pushed it too far. It's like we did, you know, a tree knows when to stop growing and it will stop growing. <laughs> Whereas our yeah. society just keeps on growing. We are essentially and, consuming the whole planet. And that's one of the challenges, right? Is that what we view as, you know, monuments to our own ingenuity actually really is just a shit ton of waste, right? Like, I mean, food waste is incredible, right? It's, it's one of the reasons why to a rat, New York City has got to be like fucking Nirvana, right? Like this, just the streets are choked with mm -hmm. like the best food thrown out every night, right? Mm -hmm. Like restaurant on every corner, fast food, forget about it, right? There's a McDonald's, every place you can you know, throw a stick at, right? And I, I think it's hard to argue though with, I don't think it's a hard argument to make, but I think people will present the fact that these are all good things, right? And that food is cheap, right? Like, Maybe it wouldn't be bad to have strawberries in January if they cost like $300, right? Because they would be super rare, right? But, you know, you go down to the to the grocer and you can get like a, a pound of straw. Like I bought some strawberries the other day and it's just like four bucks, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe they should be more. And then maybe we wouldn't consume them so much, right? Or maybe we would value them more. So I'm I'm wondering how do we use these languages that you've created to inspire a conversation that's that goes beyond the appreciation of nature mm -hmm. right because I, I i feel somehow that if nature and i'm using qu quotes right can't really see them because but quotes there's quotes in there if nature is this thing that we can like tourist our way through then we can always make allowances for all the terrible things that we allow the system to do right so food being cheap, food being plentiful, we, and, we've, and we erase all the rest, right? But they come at incredible cost, right? And the cost, I think, are very illustrated in the book. Like, you don't say this, right? Like, your book is very kind and very warm and very generous. But when I read, read it, I felt an incredible sadness, right? Because I know that I'm going to be facing, like, another summer of like California is going to be on fire, right? Like, you know, despite the fact that it's having a very wet winter in, in California, for those who are up on California news, that's just going to be burning come the summertime, <laughs> right? And that's incredibly sad. So how do we push to a, a, a different kind of reckoning, I guess, is what I'm asking. Because I think your book's inviting us to, even though, like I said, it's, it's, very, it's very kind and generous and warm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Um... I feel like you read the book. You, you get it. Oh, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's, the, you know, to go back to the tensions, that's, you know, what it's all about is kindness. Be kind. This is something that some people have at the bottom of their emails. COVID sort of created this strange situation. A lot of people, well, everybody was going through difficulty. And I found a few people are acting odd. I don't know what they're personally going through, but they're not kind. <laughs> And so, so this is, is very um, uh, something to everyone's being mindful of something these days. But um, I think kindness is, is very important, warm and generous. Thank you. But yes, it's I'm sad that it makes you sad. But the, the, that's the 
reality of our situation, right? That this is, we're at the end point of whatever our civilization is. We have come to this point where we see we are teetering on the edge of annihilation. Jeff Van Der Meer, he wrote the book, Annihilation. We have created a situation where what's left for us, we have to change things drastically. I'm not good with the numbers. I can't do what Greta does and and list off the facts as numbers. But I know in my heart that we, unless we we face up to it, the tipping points are going to start flipping very quickly. And um, sorry, this is not answering. How do we push to a recovery? I can I keep falling back on the the love. Like if you truly love something and understand it you know, maybe knowledge and, and information is part of it so education for me I, I made an Irish tree alphabet during lockdown that's what I did in 2020 and for me it was about the educational aspect of it I really wanted to have a kids booklet have some program that we could give to schools give to families and really sharing with the youngest among us this um, love because the, the the what happened with the um, Oxford English Dictionary when they removed all of those nature words, blackberry, the fruit was replaced by blackberry, the phone. They got rid of acorn and bluebell and all these natural worlds of the real world and, and replaced them with uh, chat box and ugly words that I, I don't know or remember and I don't want to. Uh, so we we need to, our children to know these things and to to love them and have them falling off their tongues. So when they're walking, they, they know who these animals and creatures are. And I'm sorry, I'm not really answering the question because I, you can feel you the are, frustration, are, right? I want us to change this system, but I don't know how to to do it. When I went through the book, you know, we talked about this again at the, at the very beginning, right? That there are all these, you, you've collected like a massive amount of contributors to reflect on and, and share stories and share prompts and, and the amount of mediums within the book also are very interesting to me, right? Like they're... There are essays, there are stories, there's poems, there's pictures. There's, It's not a collection of one set of things. It's a collection of a lot of different things, right? And they are stories often of people's reflections on little pieces of their interactions with nature, which I found also to be very interesting, right? So I'm... I'm singling this out because there was, in my mind anyway, and you can reflect if I'm reading this correctly, there was a real intention to make the the flow of the book feel a little wild, <laughs> right? It's organized, but it's not like, oh, this is our section of poems. This is our section of essays. This is like, you know, it it jumps around, right? So I'm curious about was that as intentional to be wild, again, that paradox, <laughs> right, as it felt to me as a reader? <laughs> and if so, like, what was the thought process behind that? Oh, I love that. So it was a wild ride. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> for me, you know, I'm an artist. I'm not a writer. I'm not a person who I've always made books. Books are an important or booklets and zines were part of my installations for years and years. I would always have a zine that was available for free to people to take away. So I'm a book addict, but I'm not a part of the literary world. So I'm not used to how 
publishers make books because th- this is published by Tin House. It's a real book. <laughs> you know, my my other books are self-made about trees was made with my brother in Berlin, Broken Dimanche Press. So artists' books are a whole other genre. So I guess I have this head and mind, a reality that I'm coming from a place that's very different from the publishing world. And I had the incredible luck to have this amazing editor, Maisie Cochran, who was open. She saw about trees and fell in love with it and said, let's just make a dream book. And that was the invitation. I could do more or less whatever I wanted which is very lucky. I don't think this happens um, a lot. And so that's, I guess, why it's wild and unlike all those other books out there, because I, it, it just is different. And it was important to make something that was real and true. And this is how I experience things. Maybe it gives you a glimpse into my mind. <laughs> um, the, the chaos, the fact that we are a multiplicity and we look at and take in different things at different times. It was important that the book, you know, formally, I didn't want to have dense essays, one after the other, after the other, try and break things up. So like breathing space, breathing is very more and more important for me as I deal with long COVID and the the breaths. Also the lovely fact that trees breathe out so we can breathe in. (laughs) So we have this symbiotic relationship. And so I hope all of these things are not necessarily spelt out. Some are. I think Lucita Hurtado, I quoted her um, conversation with Andrea Bowers where she says the trees breathe out and, and we breathe in. But I hope that there are empty moments or quiet moments, the pauses where the reader can can draw maybe connections, things that aren't spelt out so obviously. And that's when you have something that's translated into trees. Everything that's in the book is translated into trees. It kind of slows your brain down. I hope it's it offers a an opportunity for the reader to to pause and and see oh hey, there's there's the a tree and then can I can I read and this this is all part of this rereading and the you said earlier that the nature was in quotes I actually came to New York City originally on a Fulbright scholarship to research our relationship with nature in quotes in the city. I felt like I needed to be in a city in order to look at nature because I couldn't just do it in rural Ireland because that doesn't make sense with our species. Nature, This is nature. And that was 2004. I came for one year research and I'm still doing the same thing all these years later. So it's like an endless quest, I think. And so I've been lucky enough to get these um, this incredible group of contributors to agree to join me on, on this journey and to share and and it's also the excitement. It's a conversation with most of the contributors. It's the invitation that I extended to them to be part of the book was because we had an ongoing conversation and we had worked together on other projects previously. So it it is like a, a journey that we're all on together. Other times, I don't know the people and I just reach out and, and ask. I'm an artist. I'm, <laughs> I'm greedy. I can do that. I can say, hey, I'm just a crazy person, but I love what you do. People usually appreciate if you reach out to somebody and you love what they do, they usually respond positively and, and want to help. I found this over the years. Absolutely. As as someone who has had to reach out to my guest, you know, to in, to invite them on the show, I don't have a booker that just gives me a list of potential people to talk to. And everybody who I've ever had on the show is someone that I've personally reached out to. 
I'll say 90% of that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. There are some PR folks that will pitch me somebody. Mm-hmm. But the 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 nature of this show is is kind of tight in the sense that a lot of people that I get pitched just don't fit, right? Like, I'm not interested in your, like, self-help guru nonsense book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's an, enough of that in the world that I don't need to give it space. And I think 90% She's running for president anyway. now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Marion Williamson. Yes. Yes, she is. Again, you know, who I I know she's like, this is a complete aside. Like, (laughs) I don't care about her personally, you know, but I feel like she gets like such ire from people. And I'm like, she ain't the problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Like, as, as much as she might have views that people don't like, I'm like, if you think that that woman is the issue, you don't understand like right. politics and you definitely don't understand the stakes at, at um what's at stake. Yeah. Right. If you're uh, if you're spending your time on Twitter fighting about Marianne Williamson. It's like give me a break. I love that you you mentioned before you brought up religion and, and all of that, because you know, I'm Irish, so I wasn't sure if you were going to dig into that. But I f- I feel like this because she's related to this this phenomenon of um I guess lost souls. I can't remember the quote. They quoted her saying she was trying to save our souls or, or something. But I, I th- you know, that kind of gets to the heart of what's happening, right? You have the mega churches. I think students somewhere in I can't remember what state it was last week. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of students all flocked to a church to hear a, one of the mega priests' sermon. And there's it's like there is a hunger, right? We need something. You mentioned Twitter. <laughs> we need something beyond the social media. People do, again, I bring it back to love, want to be part of community. And some people find that in whatever religion or self-help, <laughs> whiffle waffle, um, oh, yeah. which is unfortunate. But I guess we have to cast out our nets and, and keep speaking about it. I think that's talk about, to offer these alternatives um so people find i guess the problem is the scale and the time we don't have enough time really to fix things that's where the difficulty is Hmm. you know a lot of this are are cults of personality right very famous song by a band called living color that i love had a huge hit in 1988 cult of personality and in it they name all the usual terrible figures right um that that would um, that might come to mind when you hear something like cult of personality. But I think when I look, even this world, right? And I'll call this world like sort of like the pro-natural world, progressive world, <laughs> has cults of personality in it, right? Like there's like, we mentioned Greta Thunberg like several times in this conversation. And I love Greta Thunberg. I don't have a problem with her. You know, I think she's a, a fiery young woman. I think she's right. I'm on the record everywhere saying like, look, if I got to lock arms with somebody, it's going to be with her, right? Versus all these other knuckleheads out here. But she's part of the cult of a, a particular personality, mm-hmm. right? Because when I when I look at this world in particular, I feel like, and this is completely off of your book, right? So you're going to indulge well, me in this moment. It's all connected. But so <laughs> It is all connected, but this this was not like this was not among my notes, right? So now I'm completely riffing here, right? But I say to myself, in the same way that we view, like I mentioned earlier, that the nature is viewed as this thing that's like tourist, right? Like I can go out to a park, I can go out to the thing, whatever. 
sometimes I view like this sort of like activism, whether it's like regenerative or rewilding or what have you, as someone who is in these spaces, as if we're doing the same tourism, because the the people who are most affected by these things are like black and brown people, right? And and you know, indigenous aren't not quite brown, but you know, I'll just name them specifically, right? But yet the people I see talking about this stuff mostly and, and being like put on the pedestal for it mm-hmm. are like white people, mm-hmm. right? I've seen whole conferences. Oh, regenerative economics. We're going to redo everything. Then I click it. I look at the schedule. All white people. A bunch of white men. And I'm probably. like, yeah, but but a lot of white women, mm-hmm. right? So they're not getting off the hook, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just, I look at that and I'm like, Okay, you're going to tell me about like the Iroquois nation. You're going to give me all the anecdotes and the stories about we're all on stolen land and we're all this and we're all that. But when you chose to put together your thing, I don't see none of those people. Right. And these people are alive, right? This is an avatar. They're alive <laughs> and thriving and doing work and in That's their communities it, and the building thriving. things and mm-hmm. on the front line. Yeah. Right. Like they are thriving parts of these stories, but they're only mentioned in this past. Right. As if it's an academic paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If only we can go back to the indigenous wisdom. And I'm like, well, why don't you go and talk to indigenous scholars that are alive and doing work on this or indigenous people? They don't have to be scholars and academics. And so I'm ranting because it frustrates me Mm -hmm. to see that. Right. So I think this is part of the religion. That if if the if the message is coming from someone who looks a certain way, then we're more accepting of it. Greta Thunberg is a far more engaging Joan of Arc esque messenger than any number of of folks that are fighting against uh, fighting the same things that don't look like her. You know, mm-hmm. so like that's part of these challenges. Yeah, it was difficult because I don't have a way to to. I'm not one of those tribe types, Indiana Jones, who heads off to the Amazon. A friend of mine is. He does make that kind of art. Um, but I, I reached out to Nemo Kakita. I don't know if that's how I should be pronouncing her name. And so I was thrilled to be able to include some of her works because she's like one of the, she's living in the Amazon. She's one of the forest defenders. And these are the people who we need to listen to. It was hard. I needed to get a translator to communicate with her because I don't have any Spanish. But yeah, you're so right. This is what we're, um, I, I have to say that I have been seeing more and more, like it's as if the veil has come off a little bit. So I have been seeing more of a colorful lineup at the talks that I've been at. But I have I have joined a few Zooms where I've specifically said, I'm not going to speak, you know, especially with the long COVID moments where I literally couldn't speak. <laughs> Um, and my heart yeah, yeah, yeah. was at 160, but I said, but you need a, a woman. You can't, and even though I'm a white woman, right? Um, so I'm not ideal, but it's better than yeah. just having two white guys. Um, and so I think- but yes. it's not even like even, right? Like that's one of the things, like, I'm not saying that all of us are in this, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not even making the argument that like a white person can't contribute or a white person has no contri- contributions to make or what they're saying is not valuable, that's not the argument that I'm making or what I'm not suggesting, right? Even though I, I take a shit on everybody if given the opportunity because just the type of person I am, right? It's all jokes. <laughs> but but I do think that there has to be like a the same way in which we're asking like, quote unquote, the other side 
to have this radical sort of reawakening mm. as to the possibilities. And um, when I say the other side, I'm saying anybody who's like a rapacious capitalist, mm-hmm. I think is the other side, right? Like if you're the one that's like raising the forest to build condominiums, we're trying to get on another mm-hmm. on another thing here, right? I I want those of us who are in the progressive spaces, right, to also do that same reimagining with who we are including in these conversations. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, you can't ask these folks to do all this work and and yet feel so comfortable mm-hmm. in the work that you're doing that does not include other people. I think I love you. You just used that word radical and it immediately um, brought to mind Kinari Webb, one of the new contributors to the book. And she talks about radical listening. So she's working with communities um, right there in the now forgotten I have to blame my COVID brain um, exactly where she is but that's what she realized we were the white people coming in you know she's coming from a, a medical background as a doctor coming into communities trying to help and realizing because she was living there on the ground with these people they know the answers the community themselves knows how to deal with things and so she had to be humble enough and to realize oh we just have to help provide the the hospital and the the medical and it was incredible her book is called guardians of the trees and that's just a simple thing radical listening you go and you listen to people and you don't presume that you have the answers which is what happens everywhere all the time it's a really big part of it right to walk into communities or environments and feel like you know what's best right but i think that that comes back to you know, a lot of those religious doctrines of of centuries, right? That you have the answer. That answer looks like this. Anybody else who like doesn't me. have that answer has pretty much, yeah, it looks like <laughs> you me. Know, the Irish you nuns know. who go away to save, save the world. <laughs> yeah. It, and it has, and you got two options. You either agree to my way of looking at the world, right? Or you got to go, right? I think that's been the defining like incentive behind colonial settlerism for the last 500 to depending on when you start the clock, Mm -hmm. you know, from Columbus or whenever to now. Right. And I think that has an incredible impact on how you see the world, right? If you look out onto the world and you think you're discovering everything and it's there for you to do as you, as you choose, that is a really different perspective than those who view themselves in concert with things. Yeah, we're seeing it right yeah. now in, in Ireland with the Irish language is undergoing this, you know, because the British tried to beat it out, literally beat it out of us. And it, it was criminal. You couldn't use the Irish language. There were hedge schools, like a another version of a tree school where it w- would happen in secret. And now, you know, I just watched on Colleen Kuhn, the Irish language film that's nominated for an Oscar. Um, it should be nominated for Best Picture, not International Picture, but it's an incredible movie. And this is something that never would have happened. It hasn't happened until now. And it is, so you used the C words, the colonization. It's something that I think as an Irish person, you it, that's, we were grown up. I had to draw images. The teacher figured out I could draw. So I was given the chalk and had to draw pictures of, of our Irish ancestors in their little huts. And then the wrecking ball came in. It was like, and that's the, the English. The British came and they 
they did this. And that's, I would have been like nine or 10 making these drawings on the blackboard. That was our history. This was what we were taught. And Sinead O'Connor famously talked about how we're still dealing with the famine because you have this trauma that lives generations down. People thought she was crazy when she said that back in the 80s or the 90s. They were like, oh, poor Sinead, she's crazy. She's lost the plot. And only now, decades later, they're like, oh, there were actually scientific studies showing how this is real. This is true. Um, we are just, we're, we're so busy plowing ahead. Seeing, you know, I think being Irish gives you a great perspective because I grew up seeing America as this shining, shining future that it was, it was not heaven, but it was like perfection. That's what we were striving for as a people. And so to go to America was like, to you know, the whole dream, build your dream, the American dream and everything. And to see how it sort of like it's off track <laughs> completely and how to, to get back on track. And I do feel like it's like to crack open because it's right there under the surface. We will just like this empathy, the communicating with each other. How do we shake it up and do this at a large scale? What's the secret? Yeah, I think we got to build a brand new track, right? Like, you know, I, I think that's the, that's the, I think that's the work we're all doing in different spaces, right? Is that the, the track, we got to get off this track, right? Because this track sucks and we need to invite each other into a, a total new track that we got to build together, right? It's like when you have those um switches, when you watch cartoons and like switch sends the track, the train in a different way. Mm. <laughs> You know, well, I keep thinking of Obama gotta, when like, he, Obama talks. Yeah, he talked about the it's like a, one of those huge tanker ships. You can't just turn it around. You know, it moves very slowly and takes a long time. I feel like that's that's us, and that's where the frustration comes in because we we don't have time. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have the time, and we also don't. You know, I I probably I disagree with Obama on quite a few things, but mm -hmm. um. I probably disagree with him on that as well, in the sense that I, I feel like change happens, like time is one of those things that exist in different ways. And I think it happens both quickly mm -hmm. and yeah. slowly, mm -hmm. simultaneously, right? Like if you're in the in the fight of something, it it's it can seem like it's taking forever, right? And if you're on the periphery of it, it'll seem like it happened overnight. Yeah, you're, that's very true. You know, true. all these yeah. different things in, in history, like, you know, being an Irish, you know this better than me, right? But I have family in the UK on the other side, right? So they're the other side, but I'm also like, well, they're black. So they're not really, you know, <laughs> they're not really the other side per se, right? They're in a different boat, but different accent, right? They grew up in, in all of that, like the troubles, they're in Bath and in London, right? Where those were realities for them. Right. But they hate Margaret Thatcher, too. Right. Because she was an asshole. <laughs> right. And then it seemed like that was an intractable situation. Then there's a better situation now. Same thing with the Berlin Wall. I feel like the Berlin Wall and like nuclear war was inevitable. Then I would say this. I came home from high school one day and saw people breaking down a goddamn wall that mm -hmm. I thought was going to be in existence forever. Yeah. Yeah. You're very right. That's true. I thought I would never, ever ever see a black ever like black president that was like jokes like you know never i saw one right <laughs> so 
and, and you know, shit just comes out of nowhere sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. But the 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 work of creating these things took a really long time. Right, exactly. That work was right? being done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That work was being done. It's like the trees, you know, they're they're ancient and they have stories to tell us, right? right. Because they've seen so much. You know, I, I took a trip to California um in 20, what was that, 2021, and did like Sequoia. Um, Yosemite and a bunch of other state and national parks and stuff. And for a New York kid, this is like, you know, otherworldly stuff, right? And you can't help but feel something really powerful when you're in these spaces. And I think that's when I when I reflected on the the the, the sadness, quote unquote, in the book. It's not it's not sadness without there being joy, right? Because I want everyone to experience these things right and i and i feel like you shouldn't have to go to yosemite and sequoia and other places like that to do it you know you should be able to be a part of your whole self which is being a part of nature but we segregate ourselves into these little buckets right and save the nature part for like a fancy weekend away or like i did a three to four week trip through california and i think your book invites us to do so much more than that with the language, with the, everything. An invitation to walk. Because, you know, I'm here in New York. I made the book um, in the city. So I, my daily walks are to, I go to trees. I go to Union Square. I go to Washington Square Park, Central Park. So there's not much nature. <laughs> you don't have that uh, awesome experiences when you go to the Redwoods. But I think you don't necessarily need it, right? You can see when you're out for a walk you can see a bird and that can stop you in your tracks and and enjoy that moment harder i was going to say butterflies but yeah just insects harder to spot but you know now you've got the buds are coming out on the trees so just you know when you slow down and i think that was a part with the alphabet as well was to try and slow us down because we're all spinning so fast before covid happened for like the last 10 years i've been trying to slow everything down slow it down (laughs) We're speeding. Why do we constantly need to moving so fast? So it's really an invitation. I I have one section in the book called Tree Time. So while you know, I'm very conscious of trying to think. So thank you for reminding me that it's not all one way or the other. There are there's a circular way of thinking about time that I think is is so important that we are writing the future right now, but we have the the past is. Is behind us, but in front of us too. Yeah, it's a circular thing. Absolutely. It is not linear, and I think the the rewilding for me is really to think that we can rewrite the future. We're doing it right now. Yeah, there's. A, I'm going to mention um, two quick things, and I'm going to get to the final two segments of the show because I am keeping an eye on the time, and we can do this all day. So um, there's a there's a really great article in the New York Times about a family. I think they were in Maryland, and they had this like whole case against like their community because they didn't have like a standard garden. They had like just what what people would consider to be like wild, right? Like <laughs> I guess if you, when you're living in an American world of like gardens and lawns and everything being like orderly, mm-hmm. their shit was not orderly. Mm-hmm. But they talked about like the why of it, right? Like look, these trees help this grow. Like these flowers mm-hmm. are used in this migratory pattern of this insect and this bird and this does this and this does this, which is like, yeah, that's the world, 
right? And their neighbors were like, oh, it's unsightly. And they they had to go to this this court case and they won. And um, that was like one of the best stories I read all year, right? Like, fuck your neighbors and their mm-hmm. shitty lawns, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not meant to all be in Bermuda grass, <laughs> you know? Like, that's such a stupid conceit. And then I had mentioned this to you off air, but I'll talk about A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, right? Which is a very famous book. Brooklyn is known for lots of things, but trees are are, are one of them. There's like a ton of trees in Brooklyn, and um, hence the book. And um, cemeteries, actually, lots of cemeteries in Brooklyn and churches. <laughs> so um, I don't know if there's a connection there, but there is. But those are some realities of Brooklyn. So there's this book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which I never read. It's supposed to be a very famous book. But the only reason why I know this book existed because of Bugs Bunny. And um, <laughs> Bugs Bunny had this whole cartoon where he's being chased by this dog and a, and a mob of dogs because of some Bugs Bunny-esque thing. And he's backed into this alley and the dogs are all coming at him menacingly. And he picks up a book to make his last stand and all the dogs instantly react and they just go running. And you see them cross over like what's like the Brooklyn Bridge. And so Bugs Bunny's surprised and he looks at the corner, the cover of the book and the book is called The Tree Grows in Brooklyn, right? So the the joke being, I guess, back in the 40s and 50s that dogs love trees. And so seeing that tree grows in Brooklyn, the dogs go running. So that's the only reason why I know that book exists, <laughs> because of Bugs Bunny. So anyone who thinks that cartoons don't matter has never been a fan of Bugs Bunny. He taught me classical music <laughs> and A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> that's funny. I haven't seen that Bugs Bunny episode. I thought I'd seen them all. <laughs> You got, you got to find that one. It's a good one. He's like being chased by this bulldog. Cause you know, the bulldog in cartoons is always the bully, mm. right? He has like a little bowler hat, you know, it's, yeah. it's all a sweater and he's like a tough guy. I love what you mentioned about the lawns and the, the need to, to follow yeah. what everybody else does and have your lawn. One of the contributors to the book, Fritz Haig, he started a project called Edible Estates. And for him, it was a political project that grew out of the, the Bush election. He invited people to to replace their lawn with edibles, vegetables, and exactly the same oh, reaction. Okay. Their neighbors freaked out, said, oh, it just looks like crazy weeds, so ugly. But it, it was a movement. It really changed, opened up conversations, changed, you know, little communities. It was a beautiful project. Yeah, we need we, more of that. We need right? more, we need, definitely. We need more. Absolutely. We need more. And your your book invites us into that more. So I was I was very thrilled and excited to to go through it. So I want to get to the the final um, two segments of the um, of the show. The first being off the dome, which are just like rapid fire um, questions. And I have two of them. In your bio, you mentioned if you could be any tree, you'd be an oak. And so why is that? Why oak of all of all trees? Well, the oak is, I guess I've just always presumed I would be an oak. That's silly to be presumptuous. They're beautiful trees. There are many, many, many different kinds of oaks. Um, but in in Ireland, you know, you would know the, the or revere the the big old oaks. They can last for hundreds of years. I didn't talk. I, I don't think I included in in my book, The Language of Trees, any of the myths or fairy tales. It was something I had wanted to make an Irish version of the book. I also wanted to make a New York City version of the book. So I have lots of other material for for these other books. Um, and I think it's important to remember these myths and and fairy tales um, and the Irish myths that kind of given a bad, you know, we kind of look at them 
dismissively and think, oh, that's weren't we stupid that we used to believe in fairies? But I think the, the oak tree was, was always a part of these stories. Um, it has magical, a lot of trees in Ireland have magical powers. Um, but it's just a, a big, old, wise, beautiful tree that can stand its ground and give offer community to you know hundreds of species. It's not just oaks, right? All trees offer this home to a lot of species. Um, but I, I feel like oaks are beautiful. They have these special leaves that are more lobed than others. Um, they can be easy to identify. I, I guess I need to come up with my the, the logic, my proper answer why why I would be an oak. No, I mean I think that covers quite a bit, and I love that folkloric knowledge. And I, I think to the extent if you're telling me that people are dismissive of those um, of those myths and those stories as we hurdle toward modernity, I would hope that there's resistance, right? That um, there those myths are so important. There is a movement. Um, you've got people like Sinead Marcier, who's a lawyer. So looping it back to policy again, um, and who's been talking about the the fairy forts. And in law, how it's there's kind of this gray area where they are protected. Um, there was actually a news story recently. I can't remember what country it was in, but um, in Ireland, there are places where the motorways that they're building have had to curve around a, a sacred tree, for example. But then you have awful things happened, like the I don't know if you've heard of the Hill of Tara, but sacred, like maybe the most sacred place in Ireland. It's close to Newgrange, the Neolithic monument. And it's all of the stories would talk about Queen Maeve and her army and the Hill of Tara, deeply historic part of the country. And the government built a road through the hill, despite massive protest. People were horrified, could not believe that they would actually do it. And they did it. And so that's why I formed the group Friends of Ardy Bog, because the same thing. They said, oh, we're going to build this bypass through a bog, through the edge of the bog. And we were like, no, you're not. <laughs> so it's... Um, you know, people power. The individuals have to come together to stand up against yeah, absolutely. all the odds. Fight against that. You know, we don't need more roads. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that <laughs> the we fairies. Need, we need that history. Yeah, the fairies are definitely. Um, I hope coming back. It's the same like with the Irish language. If you, it's now being spoken about, talked about, um, and we're realizing the importance of it. Absolutely, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of keeping. Um, you know, all knowledge is essential and, and all knowledge looks different through stories, through songs, um, so-called myths, a lot of a lot of things that people consider to be, quote unquote, the gospel, I consider to just be one big myth myself. So who's to say, <laughs> right? La second off the dome question I want to get to is, I was thinking about this one because you've collaborated with and had so many amazing contributors in your book as an artist. I'm sure you've had the spirit of, of collaboration throughout your, your career, if you could connect to or collaborate with with anyone in it, living or dead, who who would be that that person that you would want to maybe spend some time with, reflect with, collaborate with? It doesn't matter on what, just a, a wish person. Oh, what a question! Can I live with that for a while? <laughs> I love just <laughs> thinking about that. Wow. Um. <laughs> Well, it is off the dome, so there is mm. sort of a time limit on it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I can't use my brain fog, COVID brain, as an excuse to slow things <laughs> down. Gosh, I, I just have this parade of women through the ages. Ada Lovelace. I'll give you even two. 
It's too generous of a question. How could you pick two people? Can we have a cliffhanger where you, you <laughs> tell the audience <laughs> later what, who I came up with? <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> Is that cheated? I'll let you send it to me and then I'm going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> so that's going to be our, our compromise. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to get to the drop and and the drop is any recommendation people have given me more than more than one on on something that our our viewers should be aware of and so my drop is a is a show um a Netflix show um called The Glory and it's a Korean drama it's quite dark about a woman who was bullied and then launches like this multi-year like campaign to sort of get back at those who bullied her when she was in high school. And like I said, it's a bit dark, but I do like the ingenuity of it. And I enjoy the fact that she's gonna get back at these assholes who tormented her. So that's good. I love a good redemption story. Um, so the glory, <laughs> I was traveling a bit and I started watching it and now I'm completely hooked. Um, and so again, it's a it's a Korean drama on Netflix. Um, and I'm I'm really enjoying this this story. And again, it's called the glory. The glory. So Great. you're up with your drop. Uh, well, because you mentioned a TV show, maybe I should mention Reservation Dogs. I don't know if people have given you this okay. tip before. Fantastic no, show set on the I don't res. think so. Yeah, Oklahoma. Um, it's really brilliant. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's smart. I heard about it when I was in DC last year for the First Nations gathering, and I was like one of the mm. only white people there um so it was a huge privilege to be there for a gathering and everyone was so excited for this tv show it's the first time you hear dakota the dakota language um and real people who are not actors they're just real it's brilliant it's fantastic uh, i don't watch a lot of television yeah I've, yeah i've heard i've heard a lot about it actually so it, it i don't think it's been recommended you haven't um, watched by it guest but i i haven't watched it yet it's on my oh, list to watch in for treats yeah yeah, really good. yeah. I've, I've. It's like I've been meaning to get to it, and then I get caught up in a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I'm gonna make a point actually because it, it, it has been, it has been on my radar for a while, and I think it's, it's essential to kind of tell and represent different types of stories. And I always try to go out of my way if I can to, to make time for those because I think they're, they really are earth shattering. Um. You know the 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 way we can we can share and get to know each other through these different mediums, um, whether it's through music or books or TV or or movies, is so important, right? So that's a great that's a great drop. You've inspired me to make sure I start watching it this week. Great, and then um, I have a book that I just picked up, The Invisible Kingdom: Reimagining Chronic Illness by Megan O'Rourke. I just had my meeting with Dr. Petrino, the long COVID doctor, two weeks ago. So it's a relief after almost a year of going around all the normal doctors telling me I'm normal to finally have a diagnosis. And um, her books, because she's somebody who's been dealing with, I have dysautonomia and she's been dealing with it before COVID as have millions of other people. And so I think it's important. I just want to mention it just because there are people out there who may not know, they may might be like me who go around to doctors and they're told, you know, I've gone, gone to the osteopath physical therapists, the cardiologist, the neurologist, and oh, physiatry. And they all tell me I'm normal, but yet I, things are crazy. And then they go to one doctor, Petrino, who immediately, oh, it was just through an email. He was like, come in. 
<laughs> he knows what's going on. And awesome. so, yeah, you don't want to think that there are people out there not getting help. So can I give more tips? Um, if you have, I'll give you one more. Uh, How Far the Light Reaches by Sabrina Embler. It's a beautiful book. If you're talking about storytelling, um, it's a collection of tales where they kind of combine their life with sea creatures. And I, so oh. it sort of breaks down that human, non-human uh, binary that we have, which I think is is what we need to do more and more. That's awesome. See, every every time um, we need to do more and more of it, and every time my guests um, give me books, I always end up with more books, which are <laughs> a testament to the piles and piles of books that I have all over this all over this house. If you don't so. want a book, you can always get Orion Magazine. Their new issue is called The Language of Nature. So it overlaps with all of these conversations. Absolutely. This has been wonderful. You know, I, I want to thank you so much for not only um, agreeing to be on the show, which is, of course, always a, a great thing, but for for doing this work, for for sharing all these wonderful stories and and prompts and, and, and um, provocations with us. And um, also for taking this ride with me as I diverged into things that weren't even on my notes. So you were you were a, a game and 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 gracious um, guest to kind of take my divergings. And um, I, I really really appreciate the fact that we had a, a chance to to do this and and you appeared on on the deep dive with me. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely. I'm not much of a scuba diver, but I would do this again. Oh. <laughs> I, I love that. I couldn't ask for a better endorsement than that. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. You can listen to The Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.